Well, good morning, church family that I love. It's great to see you on this Lord's Day. And I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song. And now let's worship through the word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, or open the Ingleside app and touch the notes button. You'll be able to get to the same place. And then take your Bible and open it to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 8. And today, I want to continue a series of messages through the book of Acts. You see the title of today's message is called A Spirit-Led Witness. Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to offer a warm, warm welcome to everybody in our contemporary service. I'm really glad you're here this morning, as well as everyone who's joining on TV and online. I'm glad you're a part of our service today today as well. Now, why are we looking at the book of Acts? Well, that's where our chapter a day readings have been. And if you're not part of that journey yet, I encourage you to take out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and join with literally hundreds of us as we're reading and applying God's word to our lives every day. Now, if you've been a part of this series, you know that the book of Acts has a theme verse and a theme word. I want us to read the theme verse and circle the theme word again this morning. The theme verse is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's on your outline and it's on the screen. It begins, but you will receive power. And so let's read it together. Are you ready? Here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now circle one word in that verse, if you would, and it's the word witnesses. That's the key word. And as the book of Acts has unfolded, we see witness after witness speaking up about Jesus and the salvation that he offers to all who repent and believe. Now, if you're new to the series or new to Ingleside today, you can see where we've been over the last couple of weeks on our outline. Do you see it there? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first witness, that of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And then last week, we talked about a courageous witness and how God can give us cheerful, courageous confidence to share the gospel. Today, we're going to dig into Acts chapter 8 and see a spirit-led witness. And then in the coming weeks, do you see it? We'll look at a reluctant witness, a barrier-breaking witness, a church-oriented witness, a cross-centered witness, and that'll take us all the way up to Easter weekend when we'll celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. Now, I I've been right up front about the goals of this series. Let me remind you of those, or if you're new today, just put them out there for you. They're twofold. Here's the first one. 
and that is that every follower of Christ at Ingleside will become a better equipped and more active verbal witness for Jesus. The Bible is clear that we ought to be witnesses, but if you'll stick with me through this series, I'm convinced the Lord is going to better equip us and he's gonna prompt us and give us opportunity to be more active witnesses. That means some of you who have never talked with someone else about Jesus with the hope that they'll come to faith in Christ, that's going to occur sometime over these seven weeks. And for some who've been witnesses before, but you've sort of lost that focus, God's gonna rekindle the fire and give you and me opportunity to share our faith. The second goal, do you see it? is similar but a little different, and that is that every Inglesider will invite someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus to our Easter weekend outreach on April 8th and 9th. In fact, you'll see the details of our Easter celebration on the back of your worship folder today, and so you'll have in the days ahead some inviter cards, some mailers, some social media kinds of things that you can share in in order to send that invitation. Now, we're only, what, two, three weeks into this journey, but I wanna go ahead and see a show of hands. How many of you have had a chance already since the series began either to have a verbal witness or to invite someone to come to Ingleside? Can I see your hand if that's you? Okay, I'm looking around the room. It looks like we've got a great start. I estimate about 25% of us have had opportunity to share our faith or to invite someone to come. I'm hoping by the end of the series, everybody in the room will be able to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm involved in the gospel sharing and invitation offering mission of our church. Well, let's today, with that introduction, look at Acts chapter 8. Do you have your Bibles open there? Here's the way it begins. Look at it with me, if you would. It says, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Now, that's sort of a sobering way for the chapter to begin, is it not? And who is it talking about? It's talking about the stoning or the execution of Stephen. He had shared a bold witness in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. And as a result, he was stoned by some of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And Saul, who would later become Paul, was actually in favor of his stoning and supported his execution, and he held the coats of those who threw the stones. Well, what happens next? Look at it. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul, the Saul who approved of Stephen's execution, he was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Well, verse 4 tells us how the story unfolds. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching 
Uh, I want you to see the various Greek words that are used for sharing the message. Uh, this word for preaching here is evangelizo. It's the word we, from which we get our word evangelize. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed, it's another word, caruso in the Greek, means to herald or to announce to them the Christ. And I gotta stop right there and just say, this verse always just sort of messes me up some because do you know your Palestinian geography? Do you know whether Samaria is north of Jerusalem or south of Jerusalem? Do you know? Samaria is where? It's north of Jerusalem. But the scripture here says Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, we never say, I'm going down to Chicago, do we? You just don't say that. You go down south, but you go up north. But in this verse, the scripture says he went down to a city in the north in Samaria. Why? Well, it's because Jerusalem was in the mountains, literally, and it was also the high place, the holy place, the place where God revealed himself in the temple. So whenever you leave Jerusalem, you go down regardless of which direction you're going. Still, it messes me up. I think I'll just have to get over it. So here we go. So look at verse six then. It says, and the crowds, the crowds in Samaria, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said. It's just the ordinary word for speaking, the word lego by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so look, look at the result of the gospel sharing and the life-changing work. So there was much joy in that city. A little bit later in the chapter, verse 12, the Bible says, but when they believed Philip, that is the crowds in Samaria, when they believed Philip as he preached good news, it's that word evangelizo, about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, there are two or three principles I think it's really important for us to see here. Would you write them in? Here's the first one. It was the truth in Philip's life, and it's the truth in our life, that God often uses something bad. God often uses something bad to bring about something good. God often uses something bad to bring about something good in the accomplishment of his larger kingdom purposes. So in this passage, what's the something bad? It's the persecution of the church. It was the death of Stephen and it was Saul going from house to house and dragging off men and women who were Christ followers and putting them in prison. But what was the something good that occurred as a result of that? Some of the other believers who were in Jerusalem who said, said, if that's what's going to happen, we need to flee. We need to leave here. We need to get away from this. 
But as they got away from the persecution, guess what they did? They shared the gospel as they went, and the result was something good, and that is the gospel was shared and disciples were made. You know, I can think of example after example of that. A few years ago, Beverly and I and our girls were part of a mission team that went to the island of Sumatra to share the gospel and up to the North Sumatran city of Banda Aceh where the tsunami occurred a few years ago. And that tsunami was something bad. It killed thousands of people. But guess what good occurred of that? For the very first time in a long time, the people of that region were receptive to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some will be in heaven because of it. You see, God often uses something bad to accomplish something good. I see it in the Old Testament too. Do you remember the story of Joseph? What's the something bad that happened to him? Well, his brothers sold him into slavery down to Egypt. But what's the something good that God brought out of it? Years later, when the famine came and Joseph's brother and daddies ran out of food and were going to die of starvation, guess who was in a position then in order to offer them food and to save them? And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph saw his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to the saving of many lives. So now watch this. If you're walking through a season right now where something bad's going on, I'm not asking you to call the something bad good. It may be evil, natural evil, or moral evil. It may, in fact, be wicked but here's what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to continue to trust our sovereign God that he can eventually bring good out of whatever that's going on that's bad. You see, God can do that in your life and in mine. He did here. Here's the second truth. I want you to see it. That God sometimes transforms those most opposed to the gospel into bold witnesses for Jesus and the gospel. So now, who was the guy that's highlighted in these first verses of Acts chapter 8 who was opposed to the gospel? It was Saul. Listen, he was a Pharisee trained at the feet of Gamaliel. If anyone was scrupulous about the way of the law, it was Saul. And he saw the message of the gospel as a threat. And so he was doing everything he could, including physical violence, imprisonment, persecution, to stamp the message of the gospel out. But is that the end of Saul's story? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I got one person listening, I'm thankful. We'll build on that. No, that's not the end of Saul's story. No, 
We read a little later in the book of Acts, God met him and changed him and saved him. And so watch this, a persecutor of the church became a preacher of the gospel. And the one who was doing harm to followers of Christ ended up writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books that are in our New Testament today. So what does it remind you and me? That as we witness others who are opposed to the gospel, we ought to be reminded that God may not yet be done with them. He may intend to save them and then to use them mightily for his name's sake. You know, as I read this passage again this week, my mind went back to a story that I think I have shared once before, but I just felt compelled to highlight it again today because it's such a radical and dramatic transformation of a person opposed to the gospel very publicly, but now who is for Jesus and for the gospel even more publicly. She was a tenured professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. She was raised and educated by her own testimony in liberal Catholic settings, she says, and she fell in love with the world of words as she moved through her higher education. In her late 20s, allured by feminist philosophy, feminist philosophy and LGBTQ plus advocacy, she adopted a lesbian identity. She earned her PhD from Ohio State University and then served in the English Department and Women's Studies program at Syracuse University from 1992 to 2002. Her primary academic field was critical theory, specializing in queer theory. Her historical focus was 19th century literature informed by Freud, Marx, and Darwin. As a tenured professor, she advised the LGBTQ plus student group. She wrote Syracuse University's policy for same-sex couples, and she actively lobbied for LGBTQ plus aims alongside her lesbian partner. And then in 1997, while she was researching the religious right, quote, and their politics of hatred, against people like me, close quote, she said. She wrote an article against the Promise Keepers movement. Her article triggered a meeting with a fellow named Ken Smith, who then became for her a source about the religious right, about the Bible. He became a confidant and a friend and then two years after meeting Christian Ken Smith, who was a witness to her, in 1999, after repeatedly reading the Bible in large chunks for her research, she converted to Christianity, and she has recorded her dramatic 
conversion and the cataclysmic fallout in which she says, I lost everything but the dog. She said, but I gained eternal life in Jesus Christ. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Her story is told in the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. And today she's married to her husband, Kent, a reformed Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina and is a homeschool mother, author, and speaker. Thank the Lord for his great grace. Now listen, now listen. If God can save Saul who became Paul, if God can save Rosaria Butterfield, then the person you know most opposed to Christ is not beyond God's grace. And we should pray and we should witness to that end. Some of you say, well, that's a great story, Pastor, but that's... Uh, that, that's that's a long time ago, this story of this lady. That's back in the 90s. <laughs> the world's changed. We're in 2023. Well, I will preserve their identity so they get to tell their story when they want to in detail. But just in the last 18 months, I have been a part of the conversation with a young lady who was walking the same path of Rosaria Butterfield into same-sex relationships, but because her parents refused to quit loving her and refused to quit speaking the truth to her, and through the loving prayers of her family and conversation with me and others, I am so thankful to tell you that just two weeks ago, her daddy sent an email to say, Pastor Tim, I want you to know that by God's grace, we have our daughter back. And I want to say, I want to say thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. That his grace is greater than our sin. And through the witness of folks who love us, every one of us who are in Christ have come to Christ. Well, that's the second truth today. God sometimes transforms those most opposed to the gospel into bold witness for Jesus and the gospel. And then there's a third truth here, write it in. And that is sometimes our witness will be to the crowds like Philip's was in Samaria. And when our witness is to the crowds, we sometimes call that mass evangelism. That's like what will occur here on Easter weekend as thousands of people gather and we have the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. And some will hear and by God's grace, come to faith in Christ. Occasionally, 
There are special meetings devoted to that. And on March the 24th and 25th in the Macon Coliseum, uh, a cherry blossom event, but a gospel sharing event. Dr. Michael Youssef will be preaching the gospel. And if you're in town, I encourage you to check it out and to go and to carry someone who needs the Lord with you. You can find more info at hopefortheheartofgeorgia.com. You see, sometimes our witness will be to the crowds, but that's not where our witness mainly is. And that takes us to the end of Acts chapter eight. Look at it beginning in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This man was an African man. Scholars tell us he was a black man. We also know that he was a high official. He had social prominence. He had wealth. He was a God-fearer, and he had been in Jerusalem to worship. Notice what verse 29 says. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and Heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So now get this. This is a big chariot. It's moving very slowly down a desert road. There's an entourage around him. And Philip has gone down there and the spirit says to him, prompts him, that's the guy. And Philip goes along and runs alongside the chariot and engages him in conversation. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He asked a question. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. It was from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? It's a portion of Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Verse 35, so important. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So watch, write it in. Sometimes our witness will be with the crowds, mass evangelism, but more often our witness will be to one person, like Philip with this Ethiopian eunuch. It will be to one person at a time in our personal evangelism. And our personal witness will be most effective when these things are true. Write it in, five things. When we follow the prompting of God's spirit, when God's spirit within you prompts you to speak to that person, speak to that person. When God prompts you to draw near to that person, draw near to that person. Now draw near respectfully and, and speak to that person with courtesy and politeness, but follow the prompting of God's spirit. 
Our personal witness is also most effective when we begin with good questions. Peter, I mean, Philip began with questions. And many times when we learn to ask questions, it draws that person into a conversation where the gospel can be presented. Number three, our witness should include scripture. Phillips did, ours should too. Our witness will be most effective when it focuses on the person and work of Jesus. That's where we ought always to begin. And our personal witness will be most effective when it calls for a response of repentance and faith and baptism. So may I ask you this morning, who's the one person over the coming few weeks that God might prompt you to speak to? Just go through the mental list. Go through the various circles of your family relationships. Is there someone God would prompt you to speak to there? What about in terms of uh, folks that you work with? Do you know their spiritual condition? Have you ever had a gospel conversation? Have you ever engaged them in conversation about the Lord? Is there one person God might prompt you to speak with? What about your neighbors or the people you go to school with? Can I tell you what I'm praying, church family? I'm praying that God is going to give hundreds of us opportunity in the days ahead, led by his spirit, to have one-on-one conversations that will lead to salvation. Well, let's see how this story ends. It says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went, went, went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the same spirit of the Lord that had prompted Philip to come carried him away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So what do we find as we conclude today? And that is those who respond to our witness by trusting and following Christ will experience great joy. And so as we share, we know what's on the other side of the sharing for those who trust and follow Christ. And that is they'll experience joy that sins are forgiven, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within them, that heaven is their home. Now, before we wrap up today, I wanna to offer you one more tool to put in your witnessing toolbox. And then I wanna encourage you with some of the reports that I am hearing back already. In week one, I shared with you how to just walk through John 3.16, the one verse method of sharing the gospel. Last week, we talked about the three circles me uh, method, God's design, our brokenness, the gospel, and how our brokenness is addressed through Jesus Christ. Probably the first tool I ever learned was called the Romans Road to Salvation. It's on the back page of your outline. The beauty of it is this pathway is all in one book of the Bible. And so with just a page turn or two, you can get to each uh, important truth. I've shared this countless times across the years, maybe over a cup of coffee, 
maybe in a meeting over lunch. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says, first of all, Romans 3.23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that all includes you and me. And, and in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But there's good news, Romans 5.8, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of what Jesus did, Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the bad news, we're all sinners. The good news, God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. So how do we respond? Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And Romans 10.13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then I've often said at the end, would you, would you want to call on the name of the Lord? And sometimes the person will say, no, I don't think I'm ready yet. And I'll say, well, I, I, I'll pray with you that you'll be ready soon. But I respect that. Then you close the conversation. But I can't tell you how many times the person said yes. I'd like to pray. I'd like to call on the name of the Lord. And so we do. And they just call out and say, Lord, I need you. Please save me. I receive and trust Jesus and want to follow him. Now, those first verses ending in Romans 10, 13 is where the path ended when I learned it years ago. But I've added a little more to it because it tells us the good news for those who are saved. Romans 5, 1, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Romans 8, 38 and 39, if we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love. And boy, that's a good, good thing, is it not? So, so today as we wrap up, I want to encourage you a little bit by a few of the reports that I've heard, and I hope you'll send me uh, reports of your witnessing and inviting opportunities. Let me just give you just a sample of already the emails that have come. In our overseer meeting this past Tuesday night, one of our overseers shared that, but uh, then the last little bit, a friend from long past called and reconnected by phone, shared some of what was going on in their life, and our overseer leader at Ingleside had the opportunity to share the gospel with that friend. And on the phone, the, that overseer leader reported that friend prayed the sinner's prayer to receive Christ with him as that witness was shared. And I want to say hallelujah for that. I got an email this week from a mom. Um, and she said, hey, Pastor Tim, she identified herself. She said, I'm just writing to let you know that I shared the gospel with my daughter this week and she prayed to receive Christ. I've been waiting on this a long time. And I said, praise the Lord for that. I got an email this week from a friend who said, I've invited a coworker to come with my wife and me to the Saturday evening service at Ingleside. Just wanted you to know, hope you'll be praying. 
I got an email from another who said, I've worked with my coworker for more than 20 years, but as a result of a certain set of circumstances, we went to lunch today and I shared the Roman road with her and we're gonna have more follow-up conversation. I had an email just this last week from one of our Ingleside members who said, Pastor Tim, I go regularly to one of our state prisons to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over the last two years, 17 of those inmates have prayed with me to come to faith in Christ. Oh man, oh man, don't you see? When you and I follow the prompting of the Spirit and are witnesses in the name of Christ, God is pleased through the gospel to draw some to faith in him. So let's go be witnesses for the Lord's glory this week. Shall we? Let me lead us in a prayer. We'll sing our concluding song. Father, thanks so much for teaching us, challenging us, reminding us of the power of the gospel. And I pray today that you'll give many of us opportunity to share the gospel and an invitation this week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.